Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Have you ever felt inadequate? Have you ever felt like you're not good enough? Have you ever felt like you don't measure up? I know that as parents and as pastors and as leaders and as friends and as husbands or wives, uh, this is something that we regularly feel. And probably the prayer that I pray more than any other prayer, uh, you know, that crosses my mind or that I utter, um, you know, in whether it's out loud or just in my heart is God help me be better, help me be a better pastor, help me be better in this situation. Um, because I know that, you know, there's so many areas that I fall short and that I'm not able to do or be who I want to be. But I know that by God's grace, he enables me to go beyond my own ability through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I want to really talk into that today. Um, and, and I want to share a message with you entitled, He is our access. He is our access. Jesus is our access. He's our access to the Father. He's our access to the throne of grace. He's the access to all that we need. The Bible says that God has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness through Jesus. We have it in Him and through Him. And uh, when I talk about inadequacy, it often reminds me um, of a time, a trip I took years ago with my family to the Drakensberg Mountains. Um, I'm not much of a mountaineer. I'm not, not much of a, of a hiker, uh, although I do enjoy being outdoors. And I seem to kind of, you know, operate with a certain level of self-assurance, even though, you know, I probably am self-assured only because I don't know what I don't know or how poorly I really am equipped to do the stuff that I sometimes set out to do. Maybe, maybe you're like me. Um, and, uh, and so this is one of those occasions where I was in the Drakensberg Mountains, which are kind of our central mountain range and our biggest mountain range here in South Africa uh, with the highest peaks that we have in our country. And, um, and there's a certain peak that you can drive up to Park your car right beneath just the just the peak of it, you know. So you've gone probably two-thirds of the way up, and there's just one basically sheer cliff face that you can climb with the use of chain ladders and different things that they've set up for you to be able to climb this last little bit. And uh, I, I arrived, I decided that one afternoon I was going to drive out and see if I can just climb this last little bit of this mountain. Surely it can't be that difficult. And so I arrived somewhere around three o'clock in the afternoon, thinking that I'll go for a quick stroll up this sheer cliff face that was hundreds of meters high. And, uh, and I didn't know this, but pretty deadly as well. And uh, so I went to the ticket office. I paid my ticket to be able to go, uh, you know, and climb this mountain. And uh, I realized standing up there when I got out of the car, just how cold it actually was. Like it was fine when we were down below, but now that we've driven all the way up to the top, um, and we've parked our car and gotten out. Like I realized just how actually freezing it was and how the wind was blowing so hard. I, you know, the, the wind is, it multiplies by many factors. By the time you get to the top of the mountain, it really felt treacherous. And the first thoughts that started to enter my mind was that, am I really equipped for this? And I kind of shrugged it off, paid for the ticket, and then, you know, entered the park and, uh, and was about to now walk on this trail towards the peak. And as I was on my way 
towards this cliff face. Um, there were two guys, and I think they were German or Swiss. They definitely looked like the kind of people that are around mountains a lot. You, you can normally tell if they have a K-way or a, or a North Face jacket um, and, you know, specialized equipment and a walking stick and massive calves. And these guys checked the, the boxes on all of those things. They looked as fit as anything, strong as anything. And uh, looking at them, you know, I saw that they were really struggling. They were freezing. They looked like they just wanted to get home. They were rushing. And it looked like they were in some sort of, of danger at that point. And so when I saw them, that's the first time that, that I started to admit to myself that I'd probably bitten off more than I could chew. And that the safest thing for me to do would be to turn around, even though I had paid, and get back into my car and go home safely. That sense of, I don't have what it takes to get up this mountain. And, um, and maybe that is a great analogy for what your life feels like right now. I'm out of my depth. I don't have the right equipment. I'm not wearing the right clothing. I think I was wearing a t-shirt and some sneakers um, and shorts. That's what I was going to attempt to climb. They would have found me frozen like a popsicle somewhere on that cliff face a few days later. Um, and, and so maybe that's how you're feeling in this season. And it reminds me of something that I've read. And something that I think is discussed a lot within Christian circles and that people often say, and some of how it is spoken of can be quite discouraging. So I want to read you this verse, and it's in the book of Psalm, uh, the Psalms, Psalm chapter number 24. And there are two or three verses here that I want to read to you that so often make people feel, if they don't have the correct context of what Jesus has done for us, make people feel like they would never be good enough to be able to stand in the presence of God and or have access to his presence. So I'm going to read to you Psalm 24 and verse 3. It says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Like who gets to stand before the creator of heaven and earth? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols, and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Now, if you're like me and you had read that scripture and you thought, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? My first thought is me. I can do it. I know that God loves me. I know that, you know, in general, I serve him. And, and even though I fail and even though I have flaws, you know, if I just look at my earthly life, I think I try to be a good person as much as possible. So I can do it. I can stand on the mountain. I can stand in his holy, holy place. I read the next verse. Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. I think, well, my, I think my heart is pure, although it does often desire things it shouldn't. And I need to check my heart and check my soul. Uh, my hands, I've definitely done some things wrong, but, but I think I'm still okay there. Who do not worship idols. I can't remember the last time I worshiped a physical idol, although we have all kinds of idols in our lives. And never tell lies. Okay, and this is when it, this is that I've just seen the Swiss mountaineers pass me by. They didn't make it. How am I going to make it? Never tell lies. All of a sudden, we realize that all of us have told lies. All of us have been dishonest. All of us have made mistakes. And so we begin to backpedal a little bit here. 
We are about to turn around and go back to the car. They will receive the Lord's blessing. Okay, so what happens to my blessing? Have a right relationship with God. Does that mean I can't have a relationship with, with God? Is he not my savior? Um, you know, such people may worship in your presence. And so we begin to feel like the people in the Old Testament who couldn't get into the most holy place, couldn't get into the presence of God. In the Old Testament, only the high priest was allowed to go into the most holy place where atonement was made on the mercy seat for, to cover the sin of the people of Israel and atone, to make atonement between God and his people. And so only the high priest and only once a year was allowed to go into that place, into God's presence. So where does that leave us? Us people that are poor at mountaineering, <laughs> that maybe aren't the strongest climbers, and that have definitely told lies. Do we get to ascend the mountain or the hill of the Lord? Maybe you feel the same way that I did that day on the berg. I'm inadequate. I don't belong. I don't have what it takes. I want to talk about our ability to be before God, especially in times like this. We know, we realize we need him, but can we go before him? Can we meet with him and, and, and speak to him and hear from him? Or is it only a select few that get to do that? A lot of people don't know that we're all invited to do those things, to come before God, to, to hear his voice, to meet with him, to have fellowship with him. We're all invited to do that, not just as a congregation, not just as a people group, not just as a church community, but as individuals, personally. Each one watching today, hearing today, listening today. You're all invited to come personally before God. It's no longer a case like it was in the Old Testament where you needed a priest to go before you into that space. If you come from a tradition, a church tradition that, feel, that tells you or that kind of expresses that you need to have somebody stand in the place between you and God or between you and Jesus who needs to represent you like a lawyer before God, that's not what the scriptures teach us. Each of us get to go before God personally to enter his presence, to go into the most holy place. Again, referring to that, that place in the Old Testament or the tabernacle uh, in the Old Testament that represented uh, God's presence. Do we get to go before him? Now, you get a lot of Christians and worship leaders are often guilty of this and and we know, you know, we don't want to come down too hard on our worship leaders or our preachers or our encouragers who kind of say things. Um, but there's one certain idea or concept that I think has crept from the Old Testament, uh, kind of crept below the radar and has made its way into the, the New Testament and into our language that we use when we talk about coming before God. And to be honest, it irritates me. It irritates me because it, it's, it's a misrepresentation 
of our position before God in the New Testament, standing in his grace uh, as a result of the finished work of the cross. And that idea that you'll often hear from, from worship leaders and from people who say, now we're going to enter the presence of God, or let's enter his, his most holy place together. And, and, you know, we'll talk about worship or worship leaders as the ones that are leading us into God's presence. Can I just say that that's rubbish? It's utter rubbish. Uh, it's nonsense. That's not the New Testament. We are not standing outside of God's presence somehow begging to be led in. We're not on this side of the veil. We're not standing in the outer court or even the inner court or the, the holy place. We are on the inside. We are in His presence. And so it, it really frustrates me when people say, okay, we're going to now enter into God's presence through worship. No, God is always present. Our worship simply causes us to become aware of his presence. And his tangible presence is often felt when we gather together to worship. But that doesn't mean that you're not living in the presence of God. You are living in his presence. And I'll show you how the Bible expresses this and, and teaches us this. See, that invitation of Jesus is for us to know him, for us to know God truly as people that have met him, that meet with him regularly, that speak to him and that hear him. But too many of us just feel as if we don't belong in this place. We feel like we're way underdressed. We're ill-equipped. So the question that I want to answer for you today is, who gets to go before God? Many times in Scripture, we see the presence of God described as a mountain or a hill or, you know, talking about his throne that is depicted as being uh, on a mountain, on the mountain of the congregation of the north. When Moses met with God, he met with God on Mount Sinai, he climbed up the mountain. When Jesus fasted, he went up the mountain. The transfiguration took place on the mountain. There's this idea that God's presence is elevated. It's elevated in authority and in holiness, and it expresses the grandeur of God. And so many times scripture talks about God's presence or throne as being on top of a hill or a mountain. And, and the question is, who could possibly stand in the presence of that holy, righteous, glorious God? Psalm 24 says, only those who, who have clean hands and pure hearts, who never tell lies, are able to receive, you know, righteousness and blessings and, and this right relationship with God. This is in the Old Testament um, and, and it refers to how the people of Israel were, were instructed to approach God. And in Exodus 19 and 20, we see God's presence on Mount Sinai. We see that God has literally now come down from heaven. He's about to give Israel the law. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. He's about to give them the law, to, to give them the standard, the, the picture of what his holiness and righteousness really looks like. And he tells the people to prepare themselves, to prepare their hearts and not to touch 
the mountain. Let's look at that in Exodus 19, verse 16. It says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. In Exodus 20 verse 18, it says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood afar off. They stood, obviously, if you're standing in front of a mountain that's trembling, that's quaking, that's, that's burning with fire, that smoke is arising from the top of that mountain, you would stand a long way off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. They realized their inadequacy. They saw the holiness of God, the power of God, the grandeur, the, the righteousness, and, the, and just the fearsome presence of God. And they realized we're inadequate. They said, Moses, you go. You speak to God. It's not our place to do so. So Moses goes up the mountain and he receives the law. The scene we have here is that context of the giving of the law of Moses, which is why it's known as the Mosaic law, the 613 laws that Moses received from God. And the context is that of fire and smoke and trembling and fear, a set of commands given to unholy people by a holy God so that in following them, they could try to be right with God. Psalm 24, those that can have clean hands and a pure heart who never worship idols or tell lies, they will receive the blessing and right standing with God. And so they began to realize that unless we act in the right way, unless we, we work for these blessings, we, we, can't, we wouldn't be able to earn righteousness. And so uh, while Moses is on the mountain, what happens? How do people respond realizing we're going to have to work for our salvation, guys? We're going to have to be good enough. We're going to have to try hard enough to be able to stand before God. What does it produce in the human heart? How does the law impact us? And, our, on our, and, our, and what impact does it have on our faithfulness? While Moses is on the mountain, this is what happens. Exodus 32 verse 1 says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, who's Moses' brother and happened to be the high priest, and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in, the, in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf, literally makes an idol. And they said, These are, and, and they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Israel. Or sorry, out of the land of Egypt. Israel makes an idol 
out of gold that they fashion with their own hands. Can you imagine worshiping something that you could make with your own hands instead of something that's made you? They start worshiping it. And they say, they start honoring it. This is the God. This golden calf that we just made half an hour ago. Yeah, he's the one that brought us out of the land of Egypt. You see, in the shadow of this trembling mountain, this fearful mountain of the law, the human heart rebels. That's what the law causes. When you try to live according to the law, when, when people tell you this is the rule and this is how you should live according to it, this is what we're telling you to do, instantly the human heart begins to rebel. And it causes us to stand afar off. It causes us to keep our distance. Trying to live by rules causes our hearts to trust in other saviors. And that's why this is not the message of the Bible. The, the message of the Bible isn't that we should be attempting to live by rules. It's that we should trust in the God who is present and helps us to live a life that looks different. Romans 7, 8 says, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, by the law, produced in me all manner of evil desire. That's not the last time that Israel rebelled. For centuries, they fell away from God. The law proved to Israel once and for all that nobody is righteous. No one gets to ascend that mountain. Nobody has clean hands or a pure heart. Everyone, the Bible tells us, has fallen short of the glory of God. There is no human being on this planet, either in the past, the present, or that is to come in the future, that hasn't fallen short. We have all worshipped idols. We have all told lies. So the answer, quite simply, to who can ascend the hill of the Lord is no one. No one can. There was no hope for humanity until one day, the day that God sent his own son, Jesus. And this Jesus took a wooden cross. And with that cross, he ascended a hill. He is the only one who could ascend that mountain. He's the only one who has ever had clean hands and a pure heart. The only one who's never worshipped idols or told even a single lie, the only blessed and truly righteous one. And even though people were mocking him, even though they were spitting on him and cursing him, he forgave them. He took their sin upon himself and not their sin only, but the sin of the whole world, including you and me. And on that hill of the Lord, he gave his life as a ransom so that we could be forgiven, so that our hands could be washed, so that our hearts could be purified. In fact, that we could receive new hearts, a heart with which we get to know God, trust in him, hear from him, 
and go continually every day, day in, day out, all the time before his presence. Psalm 121 verse 1 is so beautiful in this context. It says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. I'd like to say, I lift my eyes up to the hill of Golgotha. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I lift my eyes up. That's the answer. That's how we get to ascend the hill is by looking at Jesus, by putting our faith in him and receiving his grace. We are forgiven. Our sins are removed and we are delivered from having to fulfill the law in our own strength because Jesus fulfilled it on our behalf. John 14 verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why it says in Hebrews, in Hebrews 12 verse 18, now listen to this because this is how the New Testament brings all of this together. It literally describes the two mountains that I've spoken to you about right now. It talks to us about that Mount Sinai, the mountain of the law, and it talks to us about Golgotha. It talks to us about Calvary. It talks to us about Jesus and what he has done for us that day on that hill in Jerusalem. For you have not come to the mountain, I'm going to repeat that. You have not come. If you're listening to this today, say not come. You have not come to the mountain that may not be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkest and temp darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses himself said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. That's the mountain that you have not come to. But you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Not perfect, but made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator. No more priests or any other person standing between you and God. You don't need any other representation or anybody else to plead your case because you have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. The blood of Abel cried out for judgment against his brother Cain, who was guilty of his murder. But the blood of Jesus cries out, forgiven forgiven, righteous, holy, pure, not because you earned it, but because he paid the price so that you could have it. I want you to know you are no longer 
under the law. You are not standing in front of that fiery mountain, hoping that you would have what it takes to please God. You have come to Mount Zion, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Look at what happens. The difference between those who stood at Mount Sinai, at, uh, uh, the Mount Sinai and, and stood there with the fiery mountain compared to those who stood at Calvary on the day that Jesus died on that mountain. In Matthew 27 verse 54, it describes a man that was standing there. It says, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. They heard Jesus saying, God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They saw the grace and the love that he had in his eyes, even for those that were nailing him to the cross. And they realized in that moment that this was truly God. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repent, to recognize Jesus. Ephesians 2.13 says, but now in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, we've, we've heard that before, the people that stood before the fiery mountain stood afar off. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That blood that cries out, forgiven, set free, no longer guilty, justified. For through him, we have access to the Father. Through Him, we have access. He is our access. How beautiful. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, having bold, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. With a true heart, let's draw near. With a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because of the blood of Jesus, we have clean hands and a pure heart. Jesus has cleansed my hands. He has purified my heart. And in him, I have access to God to boldly be in his presence Somebody once said that the difference between being afraid of God and the fear of the Lord is the gospel. It's knowing what Jesus has done. We have not come to that mountain, but to this mountain. One of the reasons why we called our church Anchor Church is from Hebrews 6. And in Hebrews 6, it tells us that Jesus is our anchor that holds beyond the veil. And it goes on to say that he was a forerunner for us that went into the presence of God on our behalf and now has brought us into God's presence and we are anchored there. We don't need to go into God's presence. We live in his presence. His presence has taken up residence within us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. So we're no longer trying to get into God's presence. We live in his presence. In and through Jesus, 
we ascend and have ascended and have built a home and we live upon the mountain of the Lord. We receive his blessings, not by works, but by grace. We are made righteous by his blood and we can take part in this new covenant. We are the generation. We are the people who seek God and worship in his presence and our anchor holds beyond the veil. How beautiful. This hope, the Bible says, not hope in general, but this hope is the anchor of our souls. And we love that. So in this time that you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling like things are crazy in your life, you feel inadequate perhaps, or like you're, you've hit a wall or that you don't have what it takes, whatever it may be, remember that you have the presence of God, that you are right there, you have him with you, and you are able to ask in your time of need. You have what it takes to do all the things that God has graced you to do. And that's true for this season, for this week coming, and for every week thereafter, because God is truly with us. So let's worship him. Let's pray. Let's, let's do all the things that, that we do knowing that we are in his presence. It would revolutionize. If you get a revelation of that, it will revolutionize how you worship and how you pray and how you live every single day of your life. I want to go ahead and pray for you right now as we close.